Well, good morning, everyone. I think this is the fullest service we've had since we've been back from COVID-19. We're so glad that you are all here. Seniors, welcome. Seniors and seniors family. We've got about 50 students that are graduating from our student ministry this year. We're honoring about half of those who were able to make it today. But man, we are honored that you have joined us today. For those of you sitting outside, I'll try to preach fast because I know that it's hot. For those of you who are watching at home, welcome. Uh, we know there's going to be a lot of people in our church, vast majority of our church that's watching online in this season. And we want you to know we love you. We're for you. We miss you. If there's anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. We know that it might be a long time before some people are able to come back to church, but if we can come to you for any reason, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are in week five, halfway through our series this summer called Summer in the Psalms. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 137. That's where we're going to hang out today, Psalm 137, as in the $137,000 that Patrick Mahomes will make every day for the next 10 years if he does not get hurt. One hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars every day for the next ten years. God bless America. Um, someone say, Christian, that's before taxes, and I said, Well, let's sign him up for our food pantry then. I mean, that's still that's still a lot of money. Hey, remember you can join us every day at noon on Facebook, Monday through Saturday, daily prayer at noon, about twelve minutes, twelve fifteen minutes, little devotional time in Psalm one nineteen. And then just prayer over everything going on in our world. So many big decisions to make for families, trying to figure out school stuff, work stuff, just praying for uh, medical workers, praying for people who are sick. We'd love for you to join us, different leaders in our church. Um, I do want to say, if, if you have 10 minutes to go back and watch yesterday's, uh, one of our elders uh, named Jim Nisley did yesterday's uh, daily prayer at noon, and he took about five minutes to just walk through what God has been doing in his heart the last 90 days over this mask issue. Um, certainly not stating our church's position or what every Christian needs to do, but just very humbly and transparently saying, here's a journey I've taken. It was impactful. It was impactful. So if you have 10 minutes today to go check out yesterday's um, daily prayer at noon on Facebook with one of our elders, I think you'll see the heart of some of the men um, who are leading our church, and hopefully you'll be encouraged by that. I also want to say a huge thank you. Pastor Ryan already said it. For those of you engaged in our summer of serving, we have already, since June 1, passed out 25,000 pounds of fresh produce from our church to our community this year. Before the end of the summer, that number will, uh, will top 50,000 pounds of fresh produce, um, trying to supplement a lot of people who are, are finding a lot of their food right now at a food pantry, but they're not able to have fresh fruits and vegetables. Every Monday at noon, we're passing out. It was 3,000, now it's 4,000 pounds um, every Monday. A huge thank you. Um, last week, we served nearly 50 hours in the community serving a ministry called Prodeo that serves meals, lunches, and dinners to at-risk teenagers in our community. A lot of volunteers helping to do that. And this is probably the biggest week of summer serving in its impact, because this week we're collecting school supplies to give to all the schools in August. So if you want to be a part of summer of serving, you can text Journey Serve to 474747. That'll send you a shopping list for something to go get and drop off at church Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Already 800 different school supplies have been collected and are going to be brought in. But Sherry Hinnick, who leads this ministry, told me, Christian, there's hundreds of more things that are needed. So if you would be willing to download that list, hit the grocery store, drop it off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we will get all of that in backpacks and get it to schools um, the first or second week of August. That would be a huge help. And for those of you who want to serve in the urban core in two weeks, so not this week, but next week, we'll be serving Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at a ministry, call, a ministry called Nourish KC. 
that serves about 400 hot meals a day in a dignified manner to the homeless population of Kansas City. Not a box they hand them on a sidewalk, but it's actually kind of a sit-down gathering where we not only get to help make the food, but we get to be servers in the restaurant, and we get to, just, we get to serve people with dignity and, and get to know them. We get to bring their food to them and take their food away from them. Monday, slots are already full. Not tomorrow, but next Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, still have room. So if you say, man, I'd really love to serve in the urban core, uh, serve our homeless population, texting that number will help you do that. Um, Seniors, we are so excited that you are here today. What a crazy life that these seniors have lived. Um, They were born, most of them, into the world of 9-11. They've never seen an airport like we saw an airport before September 11, 2001, and now they graduate in masks um, it's a crazy world that you've been living in, but we're honored that you're here today. We can't wait to pray over you for your next journey of life. You are going to be, I think, the generation that brings revival back to our country because you are going to have to do things spiritually that we did not have to do when we are your age. Um, there are not going to be very many pretend Christians 20 years from now in the world. It'll be people that say, just tell me what to do to serve and live on mission for Jesus, and I will do it and you're starting that today. Uh, We're really proud of you. We love you. Um, Our student ministry right now is just on fire. God's doing crazy things in it. One of the areas that's grown really quickly is our middle school ministry. It's because our children's ministry has been so great year after year after year. So we just made the decision to take one of our best team members, uh, Michelle Cummings, who's been serving at my side for the last five years, and insert her as the middle school girls ministry coordinator. She's going to be now in charge of taking care of all the ministries, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade girls, all our middle school female leaders. Michelle, we're, it's like you moved from the first few services. Um, we are so excited to have you in that role. Church, would you help me thank Michelle for being willing to step in, um, to step in and shepherd middle school girls at our church. If you have a sixth, seventh, or eighth grade girl, or you've got one on the way, the ministry that we did to them just went from here to here by inserting Michelle into that role. So we're excited for the ministry uh, to our young kids. We're excited for the ministry of our seniors. We're going to be in Psalm 137 today. Here are the goals as we get ready um, to dig into scripture. Um, Number one, I want to teach you to learn um, how to pray for your enemies. What do, we, what do we pray for enemies in our life, for people who have hurt us, for the ex-husband, for the ex-wife, for the ex-boss, for the ex-employee, for the ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, for the neighbor who hurt me badly? How do we pray for our enemies spiritually? And then number two, how do we pray against God's enemies? What do we pray about when it comes to our enemies and how do we learn to pray against God's enemies? Those are the goals of what we're learning today. And you say, Christian, why are those the goals? Because we're in the imprecatory Psalms. Some are in the Psalms, and we started last week introducing this theme of the imprecatory Psalms. What are these? It's a collection of less than a dozen Psalms that call down curses, judgment, calamity, or evil upon the enemies of God in the Psalmist world. These are, these are prayers where someone is praying, God, this person hurt me, you hurt them. God, this person did something bad to me, you do something bad to them. These are prayers asking God to crush those who have hurt us. And what we've been trying to figure out is should we still pray these prayers? Last week, we said, okay, what can we learn from them? Before we ask the question, should we still do this? We said, what can we apply from the imprecatory Psalms? And last week, we learned from the heart of David in Psalm 109, We always have to remember to pray. We always have to remember Jesus. We said last week, when you're hurt, there are two things to look at. You can either look at Judas or Jesus. 
And if you focus on the person who hurts you rather than the one who can heal you, you're not going to find healing. So you got to remember Jesus. And then you have to remember that God is in charge. And ultimately, God is the one who's going to avenge all evil. If you were not here last week, if you didn't have a chance to listen last week, if you didn't have a chance to watch last week, today's message will make a whole lot more sense if you heard last week's message too. So please, please go back and do that. Last week, what can we apply this week? Should we still pray imprecatory psalms? Should we still pray asking God to curse people? I'm going to give you a couple answers to that question. We're going to learn those from Psalm 137, but before we open Scripture at our church, we always like to ask God to open our hearts. Would you just bow your heads and pray with me briefly here, outside, maybe at home where you're watching? Take a deep breath, if you can do that through your mask, um, and just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Ask God to speak to your heart today. Ask God to speak to your heart. Tell him you'll listen if he will. That's our prayer today, Lord, that you would speak to us. Show us how to pray for our spiritual enemies. Show us what happens when we pray against your spiritual enemies. More than anything, Lord, show us a picture of Jesus that we'll never forget. We love you. We need you. That's our prayer today. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Psalm 137, it's only nine verses, reads this way. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem, if you want to jot that out in the margin of your Bible. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I don't consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Whoa. Like, whoa. That's a, that's a tough prayer, especially that last line. Should we still pray like that? Like, when we have people that are against us, should we still pray that God dashes them against the rocks? Should we pray that way against people who make us wear masks? Or people who don't wear masks when everyone else wear masks? Or should we pray that way against anyone who says the word mask after the year 2020? Like, it, like it, is that something that when we're angry at people, we just pray God destroys them? That's the question that we're trying to answer. Should Christians still pray these types of prayers? I got two answers for you. The first is no. The second is maybe. The first is no. The second is maybe. And I want to spend the rest of today's Bible study time kind of unpacking how we got those answers and where you and I can get to spiritually as we walk with Jesus through this. Let's start with praying towards our enemies. How do we pray towards people who have hurt us? I told you last week that of all the imprecatory Psalms, only one of them was not a personal prayer that was only between the person praying and God. All the imprecatory Psalms, but one were only heard by, they were prayers offered to God. They weren't spoken to anyone else. I said, except for Psalm 137. And Psalm 137 is a communal lament. You say, what does that mean? That means it was a song meant to be sang in church. Can you imagine singing this song in church? 
Like that last line is probably not one of the places where you raise your hands. It's probably, like you probably put your hands down for the whole let's dash infants against the rocks thing. But this is a communal lament that all the people in Israel were supposed to know and sing. You say, why is that? Because it was written against Babylon. Verse 1, by the rivers of Babylon. Verse 8, take the Babylonians and their children and do this. You say, why was Babylon such an enemy to Israel? For anyone in Israel under the age of 21, kind of like these seniors today, Babylon was, a ne- it was the only nemesis they knew growing up. You say, why is that? For those of you who are history kind of geeks like me, you might write down these dates from 626 B.C., to 609 BC, the Assyrian and Babylonian empires were fighting for control of the Middle East. Assyrian Empire, Turkey, to kind of the north side of Baghdad. Babylonian Empire, Baghdad south, stretching through modern-day Iran. And for nearly 20 years, they fought to see who was going to control the Middle East. In 609, Babylon defeated Assyria. They find themselves in modern-day Turkey, And they say, let's go conquer the rest of the world. And to do that, they got to go to Egypt. And if you can picture a map in your head for you geography majors, what's between Turkey and Egypt? Israel. Jerusalem would be the big city that had the ability to collect tax money and pay it to you between those two places. So as they went to fight Egypt, they said, let's go ahead and conquer Judah and Jerusalem too because we can get some tax money from them. And for 20 years, this... This kind of Babylonian attack against Israel commenced in 605 BC on the way to fight Egypt. Jerusalem was attacked during the Egyptian-Babylonian conflict. Daniel and his friends were taken prisoner in 605 BC. If you've grown up in church, you might have heard the names Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The first attack on the way to Egypt, they said, let's take these guys and send them. We'll train them up and then we'll send them back so they can be ambassadors on our behalf. In 605, the kingdom of Judah started paying taxes to Babylon, but in 601, not according to biblical history, but secular history, the Babylonian army suffered huge damages fighting in Egypt, and the kingdom of Judah said, Egypt is this close to conquering Babylon, we'll pay taxes to Egypt instead of Babylon. They cut off Babylon, and the Babylonian king said, no, we're not going to do that, so he came back. And he put the, the city of Jerusalem under siege. He killed the king, King Jehoiakim. His little brother, King Jehoiakim, became king. Those are two very odd names. Almost the same name to name your kids, but that's what happened, I guess, back in the day. Um, So one king was killed. One king was captured. People like the prophet Ezekiel. And a lot of the priests were taken captive to Babylon during the attack on Jerusalem. And for 11 years, there was kind of peace in Jerusalem as long as they collected the tax money and sent it off to the the headquarters of Babylon was 45 miles south of modern-day Iraq. So you can kind of see that. As long as they were sending tax money, they were good. And 11 years in, they stopped and said, we're not going to pay any more taxes. And Babylon came back and set up an 18 to 36-month siege of the city. They locked everyone in until they'd almost starved to death. And then sometime between 587 and 586, the city of Jerusalem was finally destroyed. The walls were torn down. The temple was torn down. All the population of Jerusalem was exiled to Babylon. They were the people that wrote Psalm 137. It was them. It was all they'd ever known. Babylon destroying their life, kidnapping the best of the best, 
killing and assassinating their kings, eventually tearing down their city. That's all they knew of Babylon. So they sit on the shores of Babylon and they say, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remember Zion, Jerusalem. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? It's interesting, after this 20-year battle, after this utter defeat, the first thing that Israel mourned in Psalm 137 was not that they had lost the battle, but that they were separated from their God. Their first lament was, Lord, Lord, how are we going to stay close to you here? Lord, how are we going to stay close to you when we are so far away? They didn't focus on the defeat. They focused on the distance. And they said, God, physically we are separated from you, but spiritually we want to stay close to you. How do we do that? Hey, Journey, let me ask you a question. How are you doing in your walk with God right now? How close are you to Jesus right now? Because our world has been disrupted. The, the way we used to worship, the pace that we used to worship at has been disrupted. Some of you, it's been four or five months since you've been able to come to church. It might be another four or five months before you're finally able to come to church. Is physical separation causing spiritual separation? Be honest. Is your heart drifting a little bit? Because that was the fear of the people of Israel. Where we used to worship, how we used to worship, when we used to worship, all of that looks different. But God, our hearts still want to stay very close to you. God, how do we stay close to you spiritually when things are so different physically for us? And before they prayed that God would curse the Babylonians, it's interesting, they prayed that God might curse them. Watch this. The first focus of Israel's imprecation, cursing, was actually on themselves. If they would allow their new culture and environment to cause them to drift spiritually. Before they said, God, curse Babylon for what they did to us, they said, God, we want to give you permission to curse us if we drift. Look at verses 5 and 6. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I don't remember you, if I don't consider Jerusalem my highest joy, Jerusalem here was the center of God's seed. It was the physical representation of God's presence on earth for his people. So what the people of Israel said is we are not in Jerusalem. However, if my hands are not still involved in serving my God, Jerusalem is, is me being close to God, me serving God, me praising God, and I'm not in Jerusalem. However, regardless of where I am, if my hands are not still serving, cut them off. If my tongue is not still praising, make it go mute. Because it's not where I am, it's who I am and how I'm connected to you. God, physically things have changed. But when my hand stops serving you, I don't need them anymore. And when my tongue stops praising you, I don't need it anymore. God, before you curse the Babylonians, curse me if I quit spiritually because my circumstances have changed. That's a big prayer. That's a bold prayer. That's the heart of the people of Israel in Psalm 137. God, before you look at them, look at me. You know, we say at our church, our pathway to spiritual growth, what we call our growth track, is we believe every person was created to know God, by God, to know God. 
We believe you were created to be transformed by God from the inside out. We believe you were created for a purpose, that God created you and designed you for some purpose he prepared for you before you were even born. And we believe you can make a difference if you, if you would do that. It would be like our church saying, if I can't know God, I don't need a brain because everything else I could know but that won't add up to what I need to know. If my heart can't be transformed, I don't need a heart because if my heart experienced everything but God's transformation, I would miss the mark. If my hands cannot serve God with what he created me to do, then I don't want to do anything with my hands. If I can't make the difference God called me to make, then my life would be a waste. That was the heart of the people of Israel. God, we're not where we used to be, but if my hands quit serving you, cut them off. If my tongue quits praising you, silence it. It's not where I am, it's who I am, it's who I serve. And God, if I quit, if I drift, if I separate, God, I want you to know you have permission. I surrender whatever you need to get my attention. It's interesting because what we learn from Psalm 137 is our spiritual enemies are not ultimately responsible for our lack of intimacy with God. Spiritual enemies can make things harder. Spiritual enemies can make things difficult. Spiritual enemies can upset our rhythm. But our spiritual enemies cannot make us walk away from God. Listen, they can separate us from how we used to worship God, but only we can choose to stop. And the people of Israel said, God, if I stop, come get me, because I was created for you. They're not ultimately responsible. But Christian, there are some people who've made it hard. Can I, can I or should I pray that they would be cursed? Because I get what you're saying that ultimately it's on me, but the people who make it hard on me, can I and should I pray that they would be cursed? The very clear spiritual answer from Jesus, Peter, and Paul. That's a pretty big group of three to give an answer to a spiritual question. Jesus, Peter, and Paul very clearly would say, no, you cannot curse your spiritual enemies. That's not the way that it works anymore. Jesus said it this way. In Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Where would they have heard this? Jesus, almost all of his teaching ministry was to Jewish people, familiar with the Hebrew Bible. He would have said, you've heard, you've heard the imprecatory song. You've read Psalm 137. You know, the Old, the Old Testament Jews used to ask God to crush infants against the rock. Should we still do that? You've heard, that's how they used to do it, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You might say, Christian, I am praying for those who persecute me. I'm praying they might die and another person might take their place who won't make me do X, Y, or Z. That's not, that's not what it's saying. If we go a little deeper, the Apostle Paul makes it pretty clear in Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Don't curse them. You say, I am praying for them. But should I pray a curse? No, don't curse him. Actually pray a blessing. The apostle Peter will say in 1 Peter 3, 9, don't repay evil with evil. Don't repay insult with insult. On the contrary, re repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You say, but I don't want my enemy to be blessed. You're thinking of blessed the wrong way. Remember the first word of the book of Psalms, 150 different Psalms is blessed. And remember, that blessed points back to Genesis chapter 1 to describe the state of humanity in a perfect relationship with God. God created Adam and Eve, and he blessed them with access and connection to him, family, purpose, 
And he said, go live life in this direction. And they lost the blessing. They turned the blessing into a curse. But when you say, what do you, what do you mean I'm supposed to pray that God will bless my enemies? Here's what I mean by that. You're praying for God to bless your enemies with the gift of salvation through Jesus. You're not asking him to bless their lack of integrity. You're not asking him to bless their policies and procedures if you don't believe they're biblical. You're asking God, God, for this person who has hurt me, God, for this person who has hurt me, I pray that you might bless them to know who Jesus is because Jesus will change everything. And here's what we're gonna learn as we study. If our spiritual enemies receive the blessing of Jesus that we pray for them, they should, they should, they should cease to be spiritual enemies. Because if your spiritual enemy has their whole heart given over to Jesus and you have your whole heart given over to Jesus, guess whose hearts should be together according to John 17? Your hearts should be together. So you say, how do I pray for my ex-husband, ex-wife? I don't want them to be blessed because they're still hurting people. You're not asking for God to bless them with money or bless them with no consequences. You're asking God to bless them with salvation through Jesus because if Jesus controls their heart, Jesus controls their life. And if Jesus controls your heart and Jesus controls your life, if both of you are headed in the same direction, all of a sudden you won't be spiritual enemies, you'll be spiritual family. It's like Abraham Lincoln when he was asked after the Civil War why he wasn't making all of the Confederate officers face a firing squad. They said, you need to destroy your enemies. And he said, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Don't I destroy them if I make them my friends? That's the thought with our spiritual enemies. We ought to pray that God destroys the sin and pain they're causing by making them followers of Jesus, not by wiping them off the face of the earth. So should we pray imprecatory prayers, curses on those who are our enemies? No. No, we should not. You say, well, what about God's enemies? Can we pray imprecatory prayers? Should we pray imprecatory prayers towards God's enemies? Well, they certainly did in Psalm 137. They certainly did. Remember, Lord, with the Edomites, that's a, that was a nation probably 100 miles south of current-day Amman, Jordan. It's where Petra is. If you've, ever, if you've seen Indiana Jones and you watch when they travel through the desert, that was ancient Edom. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear down, they cried, tear down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon. Now they speak against Babylon. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. That is a verse of scripture that should make every follower of Jesus cringe. It's like, I hope if I have a friend who I asked to read the Bible, I hope they don't start with Psalm 137. It's like, like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Read every chapter of the Bible, but Psalm 137, and then let's, like, let's talk. That's a, it's, a, it's a hard chapter. That's a hard verse. Walter Brueggemann is, a, is an expert theologian on the Psalms, and he said, this is not exactly a noble prayer, but such faith can have no mark of romanticism to endure with sanity against despair. Is that not a great line for 2020? To, to just stay sane, when everything is going crazy. To endure with sanity against despair requires an alternative vision and distance from the present force feeding. We get away from what culture is forcing us to swallow and we drink from the rich well that is the living water of Jesus. But he said, I'm not sure how such a psalm fits with the Christian faith. I suggested ask about faithful tenacity. It asks about our capacity to endure to maintain identity, to embrace a calling in situations of sellout around us. Listen to me, seniors in high school. This is going to be your call. This is going to be your generation. To maintain, to endure, to embrace your calling 
even when everyone else sells out, to keep going for Jesus. That's going to be your call. And folks, that's our call in 2020, to just keep going. Whatever the environment gives us, we keep going with the mission that Jesus has called us to. But you say, you still haven't answered the question. Do we? Do we, do we, do we pray for God to curse his spiritual enemies? The answer is maybe, maybe. Now, I don't know that we would pray this directly. I don't know that we would say, God, curse your enemies. But what we're going to learn is in asking God to do what God has promised to do, those prayers inherently carry a curse on those who are against God and sometimes very specifically. Say, what do you mean by that? Matthew chapter 16, Jesus teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer. And he teaches as a part of the Lord's Prayer us to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven for a new kingdom to be established, an old kingdom has to fall. So in praying, Jesus, I want your kingdom to come, you are praying that God would crush any kingdom that sets itself up against the kingdom of Jesus. To pray, Jesus, your will be done, you are saying I need you to break, crush, or at least break any will that is not a part of what your will would be for me. So even when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I am in a sense praying an imprecatory prayer on any kingdom that is not the kingdom of God and on any will that is not the will of God. But then Jesus gets a little more specific when he tells people who are oppressed what will happen to those who oppress them. In Luke 18, Jesus says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? The oppressed praying, God help us. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So Jesus said, the oppressed people who are praying that God will rescue them from oppression, that will happen and it will happen through justice. God will crush, God will oppress, God will destroy the oppressor. So in asking God for help against the sinful, evil, broken world that we're in, we're, we're asking God to enforce his will, which is a little bit of an imprecatory prayer, but then the apostle Paul goes all in. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, let him be cursed. Now, he's speaking very specifically about false teachers because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, this is the gospel that Jesus came, that he died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised from the dead according to the scriptures, that he then appeared to the world so that they could follow him. That is the good news of how God connects to humanity. And he said, if anyone wants to change that message, add to that message, say that's not important. Spiritually, they should be cursed. That is an imprecatory prayer. God cursed those who would manipulate, massage, downplay, change the message of who Jesus is. God cursed them. That's an imprecatory prayer that the Apostle Paul prays. But if that's not strong enough to the church in Galatia, he doubles down. Because he says in verses 8 and 9, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that was preached to you, let them be under God's curse. And in case they weren't paying attention and he needed to say it again, he says in verse 9, as I've already said, I'm going to say it one more time. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. That certainly is an imprecatory prayer. Because here's what we're learning about. Do we pray imprecatory prayers against the enemies of God, against the enemies of the gospel? When we pray for the kingdom of God to come, when we pray for the gospel of Jesus to be clearly preached, we are asking God to move against his spiritual enemies and God promises that he will. We said last week in Psalm 109, God will judge, God will punish 
every sin that has ever been committed, every sin that is being committed, every sin that ever will be committed, God will punish every sin from Adam and Eve to the Antichrist. God will punish every sin in one of two ways. Way one on the cross. For those of us who say, I don't want to pay for my own sin. I want somebody else to pay for it and I will follow him. God will put that sin on the cross and he'll punish it on the cross. But for all those who say, I don't want the cross. I don't want Jesus. God says that I will punish your sin on your back in an everlasting eternity of separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Every sin that has been committed, is being committed, or will be committed, will be punished by God. You get to choose whether you take the punishment or Jesus takes it for you. Which means we ought to pray carefully that the kingdom of God comes. We ought to pray carefully that God judges sin. We ought to pray carefully that God takes care of his enemies. You say, why is that? Because we used to be them. Pastor Ryan said in the 930, I'm not sure if he said at the 11, that he was 23 years old when he became a Christian. Which means this, I'm glad God didn't answer someone's prayer to judge all sin when he was 22. Because at that point, he would have carried it for an eternity. But because God waited until he was 23, now Jesus carries it for an eternity. So every time we pray, God, judge sin, we ought to pray it with a sensitivity rather than a self-righteousness. We ought to pray it with a humility instead of a kind of a perfect holiness. We ought to, we ought to pray it with a God, I understand judging sin means some people will be separated from you. So Lord, judge it, but do it on your time. And, and only after everyone who wants to follow you will end up eventually being called to follow you. Because when we talk about God's enemies, we used to be them. At least that's what Romans 5 says. As Paul teaches the church in Rome their basic theology. He said, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates. That means to prove by showing. God proves by showing his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, all of Psalm 137 points back to the fact that Jesus took our punishment and takes all the punishment that God has to give the evil world. And I think that's the beauty of Psalm 137. Some of you haven't seen it yet, but the greatest lesson of God destroying his enemies in Psalm 137 is seen in the picture of Jesus. I don't know if you saw it, but when you read Psalm 137 with your Jesus goggles on, he's, he's right there on the page. As a matter of fact, you could say Psalm 137 is a picture of Christmas and Easter at the exact same time. You say, Christian, I didn't see it. Show me. Show me. Love to. Psalm 137.2 says, There on the poplars we hung our harps. Psalm 137.9 says, Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Do you see Jesus yet? They said, They're in Babylon. The thing that was created for worship, harps, was hung on a tree. Do you see him yet? In Babylon, in the place that tries to remove us from God, in, in the place that seems to separate us from God, the thing prepared for worship is hung on a tree. You see him? And then you say, how could the Jews ask God to destroy an infant? Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. As far as we know, the only infant 
born with the purpose of dying a really cruel death was a baby named Jesus. Do you see him? See, Psalm 137 is the picture from the birth of Jesus to the death of Jesus. Answering the cry of people, God, save us in the midst of evil. God says, I can, but only by taking the one who's supposed to be worshiped and hanging him on a tree and only taking a perfect baby who would receive as one of his gifts from the wise men embalming fluid, an infant who was born with the purpose to go to the cross. Do you see him? Because when your eyes and your heart are open to Jesus, everything, everything changes. And I think the greatest lesson of Psalm 137 is this. Jesus turns the spiritual enemies of God into the spiritual family of God when we surrender our lives to him. But we have to surrender our lives to the one who was meant to be worshipped but instead was hung on a tree. To the life of one who should have been adored but even as an infant knew that he was going to die a horrible death. Our lives have to be surrendered to him. So three questions and then we're done. We said at the beginning of the message that we wanted God to speak to us and we would try to hear what he's saying. I wonder how many of you came in today because of the physical shakeup of the world from COVID to protest to masks to whatever. Your Babylon. Your Babylon has happened in 2020. And just the change has led to spiritual separation. You can blame it on Babylon or you can own it. I let this change lead my heart to separate from God. What are you going to do about that if that's you? Come back. If you're here for the first time, you've never connected to the God of heaven, but you walked in today because doing life your way has not worked. And you hear another way today. Connect to Jesus. Question two. What spiritual enemy have you been praying that God would curse or hoping God would curse or wishing God would curse or just you're cursing them under your breath without realizing the greatest way to eliminate your spiritual enemy is to make them spiritual family. To ask God to so deeply bless them with the reality of who Jesus is that he would control their heart and their life. Some of you need to start praying God would bless your mom and dad, not curse them. That God would bless your ex-husband, ex-wife, not curse them. That God would bless the person in your past who hurt you, the boss who let you go, etc., etc. Not bless them in their sin, but bless them to know Jesus. So a spiritual enemy becomes spiritual family. And then question three. How many of us have been praying that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth in such a way that it would totally transform our hearts, our families, our community, our city, and eventually our world, knowing that the only part of that that we can surrender is our heart. But if we would surrender our heart, we'd be one person closer to our world looking like the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. You can only surrender your heart, but you got to start there. What God say to you today? What are you going to do about it? Let's think about those questions while we pray today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heads are bowed here. Heads are bowed in our outdoor environments, our overflow environments. Those of you watching online, every head is bowed and every eye is closed, but hearts are open. If you came into church this morning, separated from Jesus today, There could be a lot of reasons why, but if you leave church separated from Jesus, it's because you've chosen to remain that way. So if you've never drawn close to God by placing your faith in Jesus, if you came in thinking, I don't want to do life my own way, it's not been working, today's the day 
to give your life to Jesus. Say, how do I do that? Just tell Jesus you need him. The God of heaven hears the prayers of our heart. You say, what should I say? I'll say a prayer that you can pray after me. It's not my prayer or your prayer, but really it's opening your heart and responding to God's love for you that begins to change and save you. Would you just maybe pray these words from your heart to heaven, not even out loud? Jesus, I need you. Just pray those words from your heart to heaven. Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive my sin and my brokenness. Heal me and make me brand new. I surrender my will to your spirit. Come into my heart and life. Become my leader. I commit to follow you if you will help me. Today, by faith, I want to follow Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer in just a second, I'm going to let you know how you can tell us so we can celebrate with you, give you some information, pray with you, pray for you. But as we wrap up our prayer today, let me talk to the Christians. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but hearts are wide open. If you're a Christian today who's separated from God for any reason at all, why don't you just acknowledge that that's happened? Figure out what or who has taken you away from having God at the center of your life. Admit the presence of Babylon. That's made things just kind of crazy for you spiritually. But take responsibility for your walk and come back. Commit today to walk with Jesus and then commit again tomorrow to walk with Jesus. Then commit again today and just every day commit to walk with Jesus. God's calling you back. If you have a spiritual enemy that's hurt you, would you maybe for the first time right now, would you pray for God to bless them so that they might know Jesus and give their whole heart and life to him? I promise you that will be the answer to your problem. That'll turn spiritual enemies into spiritual family. Ask that they might find Jesus and then keep praying that for them until it happens. Eventually, even if their heart doesn't change, yours will. Jesus, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Thank you, God, that what was made for worship got hung on a tree for us. Thank you that your infant son was born to die so that we might be born again to live the life that is truly life, one day eternal life. We're going to need your help, so keep putting Jesus in front of our eyes. We love you. We ask these things in his name today, and everyone said.